0: Welcome to Musicians vs. the World. My guest today is what I would call the epitome of taking your career, grabbing it by the horns, and making your life exactly the way you want it to be. Um, my guest is Jared Judge. He is the founding member of Dream City Strings, owner of Book Live, host of the Gigging Musician Podcast, and the author of his new book, Gigging Secrets, The Underground Playbook of Making a Living Performing. Now, he has made an extremely successful career for himself, and he's now helping other musicians along the way. So, Jared, welcome to Musicians vs. the World.
1: Thank you so much, Christine. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Good. I'm so glad that you're here. I'm just looking at this list of things that you are currently doing. You are so busy.
1: Yep, <laughs> definitely am.
0: <laughs> so, uh, did you? is this where you imagined that you would be when you started taking violin lessons when you were little?
1: Absolutely not. I thought I was going to be a professional musician conducting a major symphony or ballet. Um, i had fallen in love with, you know, Wagnerian opera. I thought I was going to conduct on the Met stage someday, but that never panned out. But I'm so grateful that I, I took this path instead.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, so many people start out like that and then they don't even end up with a career in music. But you have and you have made a very successful one. How did you go about finding your place?
1: Yeah, for sure. So I have gotten two degrees in music, um, probably like many of of your guests. You know, you get a degree in music with those dreams of making it big and touring the world. But the truth is very few people actually get to do that. Um, I Mm -hmm. like to think of them as like the musical 1% in a way. Uh Um, And I was definitely not a member of the 1%. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so my undergrad degree was in music education and I did have a short career as a public school music teacher, which was so much fun. I loved teaching the kids, but I didn't love teaching them to sit still in the classroom. Right. So that was when I, I decided to keep pursuing my dream of being a professional conductor and going to grad school for orchestra conducting. And it was during that time where I was taking auditions, just like many of my my peers who were auditioning for symphonies or auditioning for Broadway. And I kept seeing them get rejected over and over and over again. And I myself kept getting rejected over and over again. And that all kind of came to a head when I was getting close to graduating and I still didn't have a job. Mm -hmm. And I was taking this one last ditch audition to be a conductor of the Air Force Band. Um, For those of you who don't know the Air Force Band, definitely check them out. They're like one of the top band, like concert bands in in the world. Oh, yeah. And I was like, I want to be a part of that. I I could do basic training, even though I'm not super athletic, (laughs) but I can make it through. So I fly out to Washington, D.C. The audition consists of two parts. The first was a very rigorous music theory test. I felt like I was taking my music theory comprehensive exams again. (laughs) So I did that. That was a couple hours. And then immediately after that, Hmm. you get thrown on stage with the entire premier U.S. Air Force band just waiting for you to conduct the pieces, like two pieces that you had prepared prior to that. So anyway, I, I get on stage and the Air Force band's there and they just say, all right, lead them through your pieces. And I do. And it was the most thrilling time I've ever conducted. Like, just the the level of musicianship of the group was incredible. I didn't have to do much, and they sounded amazing. I was like, "Is this me?" No, no, it's not me. It's you. <laughs> and so I, I did it. And during the audition, the commander of the Air Force Band, he stopped me a couple times, had me try a couple different things. After I thought I did it pretty well. <laughs> um, The commander then pulled me into his office, which he didn't do that for other candidates. So I was like, "Uh uh-oh, I'm in trouble. Um, But I also kind of got excited because maybe that meant I I got the job. Yeah. And so as I, I nervously walk down the hall and he leads me into his office, he says, please shut the door behind you. And he tells me, like, Jared, you have clearly got talent. You've practiced a lot. But... I can't offer you the job at this time. You're not ready to be an Air Force musician. Oh. And I asked him, like, well, what do I need to do? He's like, well, you just need a little more experience. You, you got the basic techniques down, but, you know, many of the people who come to us have already had successful careers as a conductor.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Yeah. So he wanted me to come back and try again next year after taking more classes and doing more, I guess, auditions or running my own group. Mm-hmm but what he didn't know was this was like the final blow after a series of other rejections. Oh. And so even though it sounded so optimistic it was like daggers to my heart like please just give me the job. Oh. And little by little each of those rejections kind of chipped away at my dream of being this professional conductor.
0: Well of course, yeah.
1: And it was on the the flight home back from DC to Milwaukee which is where I'm based out of now. I was really seriously considering giving it up. But I realized like I shouldn't have to rely on one person to either make my career or break my career. Like I'm kind of tired of these gatekeepers, as we could call them, mm-hmm. to, who, who say like you're in the club or you're not in the club. And I realized like I can make my own career out of this. Like I don't have to rely on a professional, I don't know, gatekeeper to, to do this. Mm-hmm. And so I decided right then and there, I was going to try to make it on my own. And so I started my, my gigging group while I was in grad school, Dream City Strings, with the intention of making a living from performing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I, I had no idea how I was going to do that. I did know that when I was a teacher, a music elementary school music teacher, I'd actually found a wedding group to be a sub for and they would bring me to weddings if they needed a, a violinist. And I would play and make a couple hundred bucks per gig. And I was thinking about that experience when I was starting my own group. Mm-hmm. I was like, weddings pay pretty nicely. What if I just experimented and tried to get weddings? So, of course, they don't teach you how to do this in music school. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I tried asking my, my conducting teacher, like, hey, any any advice? He was like, don't do it. It'll distract you from your studies.
0: <laughs> oh. <laughs> Like and, thanks. Yeah,
1: thanks. So I, I basically said, "Thanks for your opinion. I'm still going to do it anyway."
0: Uh-huh.
1: Yeah. And that's when I realized like I couldn't couldn't turn to the music school for advice. So I, what I did was I went. I was a student at University of Wisconsin Milwaukee, which has a very large business school, mm-hmm. and there was a club called the Student Startup Challenge where they encouraged students of all majors, not just business majors, to start something from scratch with the intention of making money from it. I was like, this is cool. You know, I'm going to just leave the music building, walk over to the business building, go to this club and start my wedding string quartet. Went through the challenge, learned the basics of how to position myself for high paying gigs, how to sell gigs to people, like what do I say to them to actually convince them to book me, Mm-hmm. And then how to find enough of those people that if I just found enough of them, got enough of them to book me, that would literally add up to a full-time salary. Yeah. And before I graduated with my master's in orchestra conducting, my group actually did that. We were, were making over $150,000 a year. Wow. So I don't know. I It was a long journey, but that's kind of how I figured it out was by getting good at the business side of music or getting good at business and applying it to music Mm -hmm. and the goal of playing and making a living from it. Mm
0: -hmm. Do you think that schools and music schools should teach the business side of music as well? Do you think that's something that's missing in our education?
1: Yes. (laughs) But the, the long answer is, I think the whole concept of music school, it's almost misleading in a way. It's basically a gigantic advertisement for a career as a professional musician, it mm-hmm. shows you the dream, it gives you a taste of it. And it teaches you how to get really good at the art of it. But they don't teach you how to connect the dots and actually get that career. And that's where I felt that I was, you know, in in grad school, I was taking these auditions, but not being successful at any of them. And I do feel that there's a huge opportunity for music schools everywhere to teach The business of music and and how to make a career out of it when auditions are not guaranteed by any means. And especially after a pandemic, you know, we've literally had orchestras, professional orchestras shut down because of what's happened in the last year and a half.
0: Right.
1: So I do think it's their obligation to do that.
0: Oh, absolutely. And so there is that educational hole and it looks like you are filling it with your book, The Gigging Secrets, The Underground Playbook for Making a Living. Now is that is that kind of the reason that you wrote that book is because you saw that hole in education?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, I wrote that book partially because you know, it's been 5 years since I started that group and over those 5 years, you know, I learned these lessons the hard way. Right. Like it wasn't just, ooh, the next day I had $150,000 in gigs. I would be lying to you if I said it was that easy. Uh-huh. I had to learn a lot. I had to try and fail a lot within the the world of gigging. Uh-huh. I had to fail a lot to learn those lessons. And then during the pandemic especially, I realized that many musicians who already have it hard enough have lost whatever sources of income they were having. Right. And even some of the, the hospitality jobs that a lot of them worked, they were being furloughed from. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, this is the time to help. Musicians, not just myself at this point, it's no longer about me, but help musicians learn those lessons and basically become uh, the masters of, of their career too. Mm-hmm. So that's why I wrote the book.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now you have helped other musicians, you've taught them and you've shared all of your tips with them. What is one of the most common mistakes that musicians make as they are starting out their career?
1: There are two, two big ones. The first one is... Not investing any time into learning marketing Mm. because if you don't market yourself in the right way, nobody is going to hear about you. And if nobody hears about you and nobody finds out about you, nobody can pay for what you are putting out there.
0: Right. Absolutely. So
1: that's why marketing is so important. But the second one is trying to do too many things.
0: Oh, like what? How can you explain that a little bit?
1: Yeah. Um... I mean, I see a lot of musicians who, like myself, have so many different interests within music. Like I mentioned that I have an interest in opera. I have an interest in symphonies. I also am a violinist. I'm also a viola player. But believe it or not, I got my undergrad degree in percussion. Oh, (laughs) wow. I have shiny object syndrome. (laughs) And I also kind of think that's just like... That's the nature of being an artist is that we don't necessarily want to specify into mm. one thing. We don't want to niche down. Right. But the problem is that if you try to be a jack of all trades, you'll be master of none. Right. And I learned that lesson the hard way. That was actually one of the things I put in my book was when I started Dream City Strings, it actually wasn't called Dream City Strings. Uh-huh. It was called Dream City Music because we were a collective of musicians Not just string players, but brass players, woodwind players, harp players, piano players. And we even had some singers. And I tried to sell all of those different kinds of groups like string quartet, brass quintet, woodwind quintet, harp, piano, vocalist. Yeah. And every single time I tried to do that, I was reinventing the wheel. Like, you know, I'd get a Canon and D arrangement for string quartet. But then when we hired a brass quintet, it was like, wait, wait. You're telling me a trombone player can't read a viola part? (laughs) (laughs) And so that's just one small example. But like trying to do so many different things that you don't get good at any single one. Gotcha. And if if you focus on one and do it the best you possibly can, then later you can add on things, but you're already successful in one.
0: Mm-hmm. So how long did it take you to realize that like the Dream City music was too much and you had to narrow it down? How long did that take to learn?
1: <laughs> um, I just learned that about a couple, like a year ago. <laughs>
0: oh. <laughs> Everyone's always learning and improving.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. But truth be told, we did just expand back to the Dream City model, Dream City music model. And uh-huh. uh, we a- we added on a jazz combo because... That's a process that I have help on. So somebody else is mastering that and I can still focus on the strings.
0: Right. Let's talk about marketing because you were saying that that's the thing that people need to spend more time on. And what are some of the things that we have to think about as musicians for marketing? Because like you said, we have to be visible so people even know that we're there.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I feel like it kind of stems from what I mentioned earlier, which is focusing in on yeah. one, one type of thing. Mm-hmm. And so in the Gigging Secrets book, I directly address it. Um, I call them your target avatar. Mm-hmm. And so avatar is, is not the last airbender in this situation. <laughs> <laughs> An avatar is basically like a type of customer. Okay. So in the high-paying event world, some of the avatars are wedding couples or the corporate event planner or even the bar manager is an avatar and so by focusing by choosing one of those to start with then the marketing all is focused on what is going on in your avatar's mind why do they need your music or even if, we're in the, even if we're not talking about gigs, like you still have an avatar. So if you're putting out a new album, what is the avatar of the person who would listen to that? What is their mindset? And then how can you focus all of your other efforts on that avatar? Where does this avatar hang out? How can I infiltrate where they hang out and get my message in front of them so that I pull them from where they're hanging out onto Spotify to listen to my... My album.
0: But it's true. I don't even you don't really think of yourself as a business person or a salesman that you really are sale- selling your own service to somebody. Um, and what I liked that you said in your book, even down to like the vocabulary that you use and how you talk to somebody is all kind of wrapped around that avatar and these questions that you're saying.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. That's, a, that's another common mistake I see musicians making is like on every musician's website the words that they use are very focused towards other musicians. Mm. So to to be, I don't want to be super blunt, but sometimes you have to be, but like the people who can pay your bills are not necessarily other musicians. Mm -hmm. So the words you need to put on your website should speak more to those people if you want to make a living from your music.
0: So what I love about your book is that it is very, very detailed and it goes step by step and it tells all of these things that you would learn in a marketing class. But then it also says, "Okay, you're a musician. This is how you apply it. So it's very easy. And I think going back to the vocabulary thing, um, if you haven't taken an economics class or you haven't taken a marketing class, maybe you don't know all of the vocabulary. And so this is really well written for someone who isn't a business major that they can understand it and actually apply it so it doesn't go over their heads.
1: Thank you. Yeah, that was the intention. It's like, I didn't want this to be a business book. Mm -hmm. I wanted this to be a practical playbook for a (laughs) musician to be able to make a living doing it without having to get a degree in economics or business.
0: Yeah, yeah. So how can people find a copy of this?
1: Yeah, they can go to giggingsecrets.com slash mvw. Mm-hmm. So I set up that special link. It's a special link for listeners of musicians versus the world. And there is a special deal just for you guys. So go to that website, giggingsecrets.com slash MVW.
0: Oh great. actually invented a tool that really really helps musicians to be able to focus on the music part can you explain it a little bit
1: yeah for sure um so book live is a software tool that automates all of the administration that goes into running these gigs but before I explain it further
0: mm-hmm.
1: I'd like to tell a story about how that came to be is that all right
0: oh absolutely yes
1: cool so Basically, you know, I went on that journey that I documented in the Gigging Secrets book for Mm -hmm. myself, which eventually got my group up to 150 well-paying gigs every year. Mm -hmm. Um, And along with that comes a lot of administrative work. Right. You know, you have to keep track of all those 150 gigs. You essentially have 150, I don't want to call them bosses, but they are your clients. So you have to... Right. communicate with them on a on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. You have to keep track of payments. You have to keep track of, you know, especially with weddings, the set list. What, a, what is the bride going to walk down the aisle to? Right. And then you have to keep track of the musicians who you are scheduled to play with, especially if you run a group.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so I got to that level while I was still in grad school. And that amount of administration was a full-time job in itself.
0: Right. Of course.
1: And... I thought I was doing a decent job of it. Just I had spreadsheets. I had email threads. I had text message chains. And I was like, I got this. We're good. And then I checked um, at that time. I had met my my current wife. She is a flute player. Hi, Emily, if you're listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> and so there was an, um, a Saturday in October that we w- were talking about going out on a date to an apple orchard. And so I checked all of my spreadsheets and my emails and everything, just checking this date. Do I have any gigs? And my spreadsheet said no. So I said, "Okay, let's go to the apple orchard. It was an hour outside of Milwaukee. Mm -hmm. As we are picking Honeycrisp apples, this is kind of a hard part to tell. But as we're picking Honeycrisp apples, I get a phone call and I see on the caller ID it's a wedding planner because I'd worked with her in the past. And I like when I see her name, like I start shaking a little bit. I answer the phone and the voice on the other end is screaming. (gasps) Where are the strings? This wedding is in 10 minutes. (gasps) Oh, no. And I like dropped the apples and I was like panicking, trying to like, oh, my God, what's going on? Like, did I forget? And I apologized. I said, let me call around. I'll handle this. Like, I'm so sorry. She's like, you better. The bride is freaking out. The mother of the bride is freaking out. And so I call every single string player that I knew in Milwaukee. And I said, hey, there's this wedding. It's 10 minutes. It starts in 10 minutes. Can you just literally show up and play Canon in D?
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: Nobody could. (gasps) Yeah. So I screwed up really bad. And... Eventually, I got a hold of the DJ and I said, like, I screwed up so bad. Would you mind playing music for their ceremony? Because I ruined this person's wedding. Oh. And he said, yes. Like, I, I got you, fam, which was great. <laughs> like, him and I are great friends now. Like, Anthony is – his name is Anthony and and he's actually a jazz piano player who I have built his website for. Oh, okay. Um, but he also does wedding DJing. So, he saved mm-hmm. the day for me and – after, like, I, I actually paid the couple, the amount they paid to Anthony, just because I felt so bad. Like, I covered their DJ costs. I refunded oh. them all the string costs. Yeah. And then um, I took some time for myself because, like, this was the worst moment in my gigging career. I thought my gigging career was over, actually. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And after I took some time to myself, I uh, one thing you got to know about me is I'm a super tech nerd. So... <laughs> I have been like taking apart computers since I was in middle school and teaching myself to code. And then after this, I was like, I have so many gigs and I'm managing so many people. Mm -hmm. I need somebody to manage me, make sure that I am sticking to all of the things that I've promised. Yeah. And I realized like I can't hire somebody to do this because nobody knows what it's like to run my specific group. I started it from scratch. Plus, I can't afford to hire somebody else. I'm still in grad school here. Yeah. Um, And that's when I was like, well, I use like Uber to get around, and Uber seems to do a good job of managing drivers, getting them to connect with the clients and picking them up and dropping them off. Mm
0: -hmm. That's
1: almost like a gig in a way, although it's a lot lower stakes. (laughs) But what if there was an app kind of like Uber where me as the band leader, could coordinate all of these moving parts of a gig and send out reminder emails to myself that, hey, you are about to miss a gig. Mm. But if it, not only that, like, what if it could actually just do every aspect of running a band, like asking musicians in the first place, hey, here's the date, time, venue, pay. Are you available? Yes or no? And I was like, this could work. You know, I'm pretty busy, but you know, if I could do that and automate all of this other t- stuff, then I could probably, you know, get on my professor's good side and get back in the practice room. And so I went through a, a journey. Um, I spent a couple of days and sleepless nights just coding this very first version of what's now Book Live. Mm-hmm. And the moment that I got it to the point where like, here's the next gig, you know, by now it was like November. And then I can put in on violin one, I want Paul. On violin two, I want Dana. On viola, I'll play viola. And on cello, I want Christian. And I'm just going to put in their email address and phone number and hit a button where it will send out emails and text messages to them. And if they're available, they can click a button to respond. So I Mm -hmm. got it to that point. And then, you know, I waited for morning to roll around so I didn't disturb these people in the middle of the night. And I pressed that button to send out those requests. And the moment I did that, and I saw like, okay, this text message hit Paul's phone, hit Christian's phone, Dana's, and mine. And then I saw Christian responded. He said yes. And I was like, holy crap. This just changed the game. It worked. And I had this epiphany like, I'm free. (laughs) I I felt like Dobby when Harry threw the sock at him. (laughs)
0: That's amazing. That's so incredible.
1: It was a relief because I felt like this would prevent me from reliving that the worst moment of my gigging career.
0: Right. Well, because there's always that kind of anxiety and that stress is a little bit more increased after something like that.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's a high stakes situation. People are relying on you to provide music for their special event. Yeah. Especially if it pays very well, they're expecting a high level of service. Mm-hmm. And so basically after that first gig of using BookLive, I realized like I needed to add all these other features to it too, like contracts, payments, set list building, yeah. communication with the client. I did that. And then some musicians who were playing for me, because I have a lot, of, a lot of musicians who play for me. Uh-huh. They said, hey, I run this other group. Could I try using the software for for my group? And I said, let's see how it works and handed them the keys. They started using it and they were, they were very impressed too. Their minds were blown. And all of a sudden I realized like I've created this software tool that musicians can use to book and coordinate all of their high paying and even not so high paying gigs mm-hmm. and save them all of the, the administrative time. Right. So, yeah, now we have over 2000 musicians across the U.S. and even some musicians in Canada using it. Wow. And yeah, I'm just on this mission to like, it's no longer about me making a career out of music. Like I play enough gigs where I'm satisfied. You know, Mm -hmm. I I enjoy what I do. But if I could help others do that too, that would fulfill me more than my initial dream of becoming a symphony conductor.
0: Wow. And it sounds like you're doing it. It sounds like you're really helping people.
1: Thank you. I'm trying.
0: Yeah. So it goes beyond just, you know, like events, though, because I saw on the website there's there's things for band management and other types of gigs as well. What kind of gigs does it cover?
1: Yeah. So essentially, like when you strip down a gig to its bare bones, mm-hmm. any type of gig, you have to show up at a venue on a date at a time. You have to schedule People, including yourself, to be there. Like I learned that lesson the hard way. <laughs> uh, you m- may or may not have to coordinate payment. You may or may not have to schedule the or plan out the artistic content that you're mm-hmm. performing. And then you also have to communicate with a variety of people to basically make the gig happen. Mm-hmm. That is common amongst weddings. That's common amongst corporate events, nonprofit galas. That's also common among, you know, if I'm playing at a bar, I still need to schedule all that out. I still need to communicate with the bar owner or manager, right? coffee house, even festivals. Um, Just a couple of weeks ago, we had in Milwaukee, we called it Busker Fest, Mm -hmm. which busking is when you play um, on a street corner when you leave out your case for tips. So Milwaukee's downtown um, business improvement district came to BookLive and said, we're doing this festival. We want 68 musicians on a like on these three dates at these times, and we're going to pay them all $100 each plus whatever tips they make. Can your software help us manage this type of gig too? And I said, yes, let's make it happen. And it was an incredible festival. Like Milwaukee downtown was bustling with people just listening to music on every street corner. Wow. So, so it's not just weddings. It's not just those corporate events and nonprofits. It's all kinds of gigs.
0: So um, just as we're closing up, you've told us your least favorite memory of being a gigging musician. What is your best favorite memory?
1: So there are so many favorite stories of, of performing that I've, I've had, um, particularly after starting my own group because I get to perform so much. But I would say one of my favorites was this cute, nerdy couple that was just like me and my wife. And they were total geeks, like Harry Potter fans, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings fan. And the music that they chose was from all of those nerd fandoms. And it was the most unique set list that I ever played. Because what the the bride walked down the aisle to was the Hobbit song from the Lord of the Rings. Oh, my goodness. I just loved every moment of that gig. The music That is they so picked, cute. The couple, they were just amazing to work with, and I wish all of my couples were as cute as they were.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's a nice change from Canon and D, isn't it?
1: Yeah, for sure. I play that a lot.
0: Yeah, I'm sure you do, especially with the string quartet. So knowing what you know now, and you've been through all of this, and you've learned so many lessons. um, if you could go back to, to you know, little Jared, would you tell him to go into music or would you say, no, 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 go do something else?
1: I would t- still tell him to go into music because I think that there is something inside of every musician and artist that you can't have life without it. Um, I don't know. It's something about art that speaks to me and I'm sure speaks to everybody on such a deeper level than anything else out there uh and i know it sounds kind of cliche but you know music is my passion music is my life and i wouldn't be as fulfilled had i gone into electrical engineering so i would say keep going for it the journey Mm -hmm. is not going to be easy but it's still worth going through because music will be a part of your life until the day you die
0: Absolutely. 100%. And um, just to finish up, tell us where we can find your podcast so we can hear all of these tips in even more detail.
1: Yeah. So I run the Gigging Musician Podcast, and you could find that on Spotify and Apple Podcasts.
0: Now, if someone wanted to find you and to get in touch with you or had questions, how are they going to do that?
1: Yeah, they can email me, jared at booklive.com.
0: And Jared, thank you so much. I loved hearing your stories. I love that you have taken all of your experiences and you're helping other musicians to become successful and you're just keeping the music alive. So thank you so much.
1: It's been my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me, Christine.
0: Musicians vs. the World is a production of Frosted Lens Entertainment in conjunction with Smith Sound Music. A very special thank you to my guest, Jared Judge, for sharing his time, his insights, and his music with us today. You can hear Jared on his podcast, The Gigging Musician, on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You can buy a copy of his book, Gigging Secrets, the Underground Playbook to Making a Living Performing, at GiggingSecrets.com slash MVW. And if you're a gigging musician that wants to learn more about Book Live and how it can help you, you can find it at BookLive.com. I will have links to all of these in our show notes at our website, frostedlens.com slash musicians versus the world. And last but certainly not least, the music you're listening to right now is Dream City Strings Arrangement of Marry Me by Train. If you have enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss out on any future conversations. And if you want to help us reach more people that may be interested in today's topic, share this episode with them or leave us a nice review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any topics that you'd like to have discussed, or questions about music or musician life that you'd like answered, be sure to reach out to us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, or send us an email at info at Thanks so much. ¶¶